0: Alright, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for tuning in. An exciting show today with lots that I'm going to get into. Big NBA news, of course, with James Harden forcing his way out of Houston to team up with Kevin Durant and the missing right now, Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. Pretty dramatic exit as well with his teammates firing shots, Harden calling out the team, saying the team isn't good enough to win. So he forced his way out of there, and he'll be playing with the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So we'll get into that. The national championship in college football was this past Monday. The Alabama Crimson Tide win their sixth national championship under Nick Saban and do it in an absolute blowout fashion, taking no prisoners uh, in this route against Ohio State. Does it solidify Nick Saban as the greatest college coach of all time? We'll answer that one pretty quickly as well today, and we'll finish up with a long discussion on the NFL from the super Wild Card weekend, which was fantastic, by the way, and we'll get into that, to the divisional round matchups that we have upcoming tomorrow, and the head coaching openings, and in some of the filled positions that are starting to, to come in today, and which spots, in which locations we think, uh, or at least I think, set up the coach to succeed the most, and in which ones I think are, are ones that coaches are coveting this head coaching cycle. I can't wait. That'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I mean over super over the super wild card weekend, we had two teams that had 20 plus year playoff droughts win this past weekend. I'm talking about the Bills and I'm talking about the Browns both getting a win this weekend. We've got legendary quarterbacks still winning and playing in the playoffs. Best time of the year right now for football fans and it helps if your team is still in the playoffs. Which mine is? <laughs> So that's, that's, that makes it a lot more fun, too, also. So let's get started then. And, and we'll start with the massive news in the NBA, and that's the massive trade that sent James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets to play alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's where we'll get started today. So let's first discuss the, the parameters of the trade. It actually turned out to be a four-team trade, Houston Rockets, Cleveland Cavaliers, Indiana Pacers, and the Brooklyn Nets. So we'll start with the obvious. Brooklyn Nets, they get James Harden. And a second-round pick, they have to give up Karius Levert, Jarrett Allen, Radonis Kirkus, and then four first-round picks and four pick swaps unprotected that go to Houston for James Harden. And so those first-round picks and pick swaps are, are obviously something that I've talked about a lot where I don't know. You, ne- you don't necessarily know what those picks will turn out to be. So if the Nets are trying to go for a championship this year, which we'll discuss in a second, Obviously, those picks aren't going to do them any good right now, and, and you'll get a guy, a th- the three-time reigning scoring champ in the NBA and James Harden. But that's still a lot to give up. I mean, we've seen other deals. The Milwaukee Bucks, I think they gave up three first-round picks and three pick swaps for Drew Holiday. The Clippers gave up, I think, five first-round picks for Paul George and another player to get him out of Oklahoma City. So we've seen this kind of... Be the standard now for teams when when trading for superstars is giving up those first round picks. But not only that, it's those pick swaps as well in in the other years. So what that means is, in I think in 2022 or 2021, whenever the the next draft is, Houston will get the Nets first round pick there, and then in and then the draft after that, you can't trade back to back first round picks. So what they'll do is is the Nets will be able to, or I mean the Rockets, excuse me, will be able to swap. With Houston or with Brooklyn, if they want to for those uh, for those first round picks, you can't give them up uh, in back to back draft So that's what those pick swaps do. There, Houston gets then Victor Oladipo from the Pacers. They get Dante Exum. Those four first round picks, like I talked about, the Cavaliers got in this mix and got Jarrett Allen from the Nets as well, along with Torian Prince. And then the Pacers kind of swapped. Victor Oladipo for Karius Levert and a second round pick there. So all in all, Houston for James Harden, they get Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, another nice bench player, and then those four first round picks and those four pick swaps. But the bigger the bigger deal is, does this? how do the Nets kind of make this work? I mean, they have three primary ball handlers now on this team in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and James Harden. And we've seen, and, and you could say two if you wanted, as, as primary guys that work with the ball and have a high usage rate in James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And, and we've seen Kevin Durant play off the ball before and, and succeed, obviously, in in Golden State when they won two championships there. But, wow, this is there's only one basketball, and this is going to be really tough to see how this uh, chemistry kind of gets off to, to a start here in this weird... Um, season that we have going on for the nba still as we're still in this in this covid pandemic but i mean i don't i mean do you stagger when these guys play do you play your best players all at the same time right now i mean they're, they're missing kyrie irving kyrie irving i believe was at a party he just recently got fined fifty thousand dollars for breaking the nba's covid protocols and he was at a party and, and he's been missing for the past two weeks for personal reasons so that's a thing all in itself that we can discuss a different time. But, I mean, when when you get Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all back together, how is that all going to work out between all of them? I mean, Kyrie Irving forced his way out of Cleveland because he no, wa- no longer wanted to be the Robin to LeBron James's Batman. So now he's going to be the third player, the third go-to guy, in Brooklyn, behind Kevin Durant and James Harden, that I've I've seen on social media, he's gonna be the Alfred now. There's Batman, Robin, and then there's Alfred, and and Kyrie is gonna be the Alfred now on this team. So I mean, we'll see if, if how he feels about that, if he's happy about it. I mean, they have a first year head coach in Steve Nash as well. This is a lot. This is gonna be a lot for him to try and work through with three these three superstars. I mean, you got James Harden, a three time reigning scoring champ and MVP. You got Kevin Durant, also a scoring champ back in the day, also an MVP as well and a champion. And then you got Kyrie Irving, one of the most gifted ball handlers of all time in in basketball and the way that he's able to handle the basketball and and control it almost like on a string some of the time. So this is just going to be really interesting to see how the three of them work it out and, and how Steve Nash, a first year, first time ever head coach, Hasn't coached at the collegiate level. I mean, obviously a former great point guard himself in the NBA. This is going to be really tough for him to navigate. And with this move, the Brooklyn Nets kind of give up a lot of their depth too. I mean, Jarrett Allen, one of their best defenders and rim protectors. He's gone. Karius Levert, another one of those guys that could come off. I don't know if he was coming off the bench, but he can score 15 points a game for them. Exum and stuff like this. So, I mean, the the Nets kind of lose some depth, some defensive help. I mean, does this move make them the favorites to come out of the East? I mean, they're going to have a bottom five defense in the NBA. I don't know when the last time or if ever there's been an NBA champion that has had a bottom five defense in the league. I'm not sure if that's ever been a thing. But that's what the Nets are going to be trying to do is relying on these three superstars, not much depth behind them. I mean, especially with Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he partially tore an ACL, so that's one, another one of their key contributors gone. They're going to have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. I'm not sure if that necessarily even makes them the favorite to come out of the East with teams like the Philadelphia 76ers playing really good right now. The Milwaukee Bucks still playing really good. The Boston Celtics, before they had a little COVID outbreak, they were one of the top teams in the East as well. So I don't I, just because you add James Harden to a team like this, who, let's be real, is, is out of shape right now. He's not playing like the James Harden that we've seen the past three years. I think his past five games that he's been on the floor, he's averaged less than 20 points, which might be the first time since 2012 or something like that, when he uh, was with, with the Thunder and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But still, this right now is not the James Harden, the MVP level James Harden that the Nets are getting. And this isn't just something where you plug them in and all of a sudden Kevin Durant and James Harden go back to when they were with the Oklahoma City Thunder and just work it out like that. I mean, we saw one of the other big threes. I mean, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. They had a, a regular offseason and a full year, and they didn't even win a championship their first go around. So, I mean, I don't know if how this is going to work for them, but this is going to be really interesting to see. They are definitely going to be all eyes on the nets for this entire season every game when Kevin Durant and James Harden and eventually if Kyrie Irving comes back there's an if in front of that if you didn't hear it but which is uh something I can probably discuss on the next episode but still a lot of drama in Brooklyn and, and why not when you when you trade for James Harden in the in the way he forced himself out of out of Houston and in the way that it was he he had a press conference that said this team isn't good enough. And that came after two back-to-back blowout losses to the Los Angeles Lakers. And then you had teammates um, like DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall come out and say, yeah, I mean, he hasn't been necessarily the greatest teammate. And it didn't just start last night when he came out and ripped them like that. DeMarcus Cousins said, kind of hinted that this went all the way back to training camp when Harden wasn't showing up for the first couple of days. So (laughs) nothing, nothing but drama on his way out of there. So now... In Houston, it'll be Victor Oladipo, DeMarcus Cousins, and John Wall, kind of the redemption team right there, all of them coming off of major injuries in the past two or two seasons, basically, with Oladipo kind of working his way back last year, John Wall his first season back as well, and then DeMarcus Cousins missing most of last year as well. So we'll see how this uh, works out for Houston. And, it, and Brooklyn has done this kind of deal before. If you remember when they traded for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett when they were much older and in the hate or not in their heyday anymore for when they went to the nets and that did not work out for them but this one might might work out a little bit different between James Harden and Kevin Durant but we'll see it'll be really interesting and and definitely the the spotlight will be on them for the rest of the season and we'll all be watching for sure but I don't even think with the addition of James Harden it it puts them at the top I mean for me I've got my top 5 teams after I think we're like what 10 to 15 games into this season right now some of them some teams have only played uh, maybe like 10 games because of of some COVID issues but the Lakers right now are still the best team in the NBA I believe they're 7-0 and on the road to start the season LeBron James and Anthony Davis even when they are playing less minutes are still leading this team coming off of that championship so the Lakers are number one I think the Bucks and 76ers are 2-3 and three right now, the way the 76ers have been playing. Joel Embiid might be the front runner in, in the MVP conversation right now. I know we're only 15 games into the season, but don't forget, this is a 72-game season instead of an 82-game season. So, I mean, the way that he's been performing so far to, to start the year has been fantastic. The Bucks got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think they've won four straight games, so they're they're doing better right now as well. The Clippers still haven't haven't put it all together quite yet still one of the top five teams though right now in the NBA season with some other teams struggling out of the gate like the Denver Nuggets have kind of gotten off to a slow start so I you, you can put the Clippers in the top five and then then I would put the Brooklyn Nets there but they got some things that they have to work out in. and number one has to be where is Kyrie Irving why hasn't he returned back to the court yet and then two, how am I going to work this all? This is the Steve Nash question. How am I going to work this all together when I do get Kyrie Irving back? Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving all on the floor at the same time. How is that going to work when you've got three of the highest usage players in the NBA? So we'll see how that all works. But those are my top five teams right now. The Lakers at number one. The Bucks and 76ers at two and three. You, you, you can flip-flop them as well. And then the Clippers and the Nets at four and five. But we'll see. We'll see how this uh, goes in the NBA season. But right now, the NBA has actually had has a little bit of a COVID outbreak problem going on with game after game being postponed right now. Up up to right now, I think we're up to 13 games postponed at this point, with none of them kind of being rescheduled quite yet. So that's a little bit of a problem that the NBA is, is suffering. The question is, uh, do they go back to a bubble like they had at the end of last year? Remember, they went to Disney and had just all the players quarantined in there, and, and, and it worked out really well. No positive tests, no games postponed, and nothing like that. I mean, right now, the, the indication is they aren't going to be doing that. They, they're they're going to stick with what they're doing. They're going to try and reschedule some of these games. It's a 72-game season, so that I think they'll have some room or some slots to reschedule some of these games. But it's it's not looking good right now. I believe the Celtics are one of the teams with, with kind of a COVID problem. The Wizards are another team, and the rule is if, if a team can put eight players on the court, then then the game will be played. I mean, we saw the 76ers, they had, they had to play a game without Ben Simmons, without Joel Embiid, without Tobias Harris, their three best players, and they still had eight guys that were able to go, so they played that game. If a team doesn't have eight players that can go, then the game gets postponed, and they'll try to reschedule it. But like I said, up to 13 games right now are being postponed, and none of them have been rescheduled yet. So hopefully the NBA can turn this around. Right now, they don't have any plans to pause the season and and wait for everybody to get a little bit healthier. They don't have any plans for a bubble at this point. They're going to try and ride it out. The NFL has done this similar thing where they've they've been able to move some games. It's obviously easier to move games in the NBA because you can play back-to-back nights where obviously in the NFL you can't. They usually at least like to have four days in between games such as from sunday to thursday night games so it's it's easier to reschedule games in 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 the nba but we'll see if they can can turn this around and get the season back on track with some of these teams all right let's move on now to the college football national championship game i mean we already know the score and we and we saw this one if you didn't watch it it was just an absolute masterpiece by alabama they trounced Ohio State 52 to 24. Quarterback Mac Jones for Alabama 36 of 45, 364 yards. That's a national championship record right there just past Joe Burrow from last year in five touchdowns he had in this game. DeVonte Smith, the wide receiver who just won the Heisman for Alabama, he had 12 receptions, 215 yards and three touchdowns. That was in the first half. And then he he injured his finger on a on a play where a linebacker kind of caught him by surprise and he, I think he jammed his fingers on his right hand so he was out for the second half. He had 12 receptions. I think that ties a national championship record. 215 yards and 3 touchdowns. I think 3 touchdowns also ties a national championship record for a wide receiver. This guy could have gone for over 300 yards and probably four touchdowns and would have broke all the national championship records had he been able to play in the second half. Just absolutely amazing this guy is going to go top five in the nfl draft and it's going to be so exciting to watch and then alabama's running back Najee harris had 158 total yards and three touchdowns total two rushing and one receiving just domination all across the board from alabama these three guys mac jones Devonte smith and Najee harris these were three of the top five vote getters in the heisman this year so i mean just unbelievable. And and Nick Saban with this win, this was his 7th National Championship, his 6th with Alabama. He also won one, if you remember, with LSU. So his 7th overall National Championship. That's the most all-time. He passes Bear Bryant who had 6. He breaks that tie with him. He had 6 with Alabama. So this this makes him the greatest coach of all time, especially now. I mean, he he, he's won the six national championships and then he won this seventh one in such a challenging year if you remember Nick Saban was out for a game where he had to miss because he had COVID he couldn't be on the sidelines they still went undefeated they had I believe their most prolific prolific offense in Alabama history so just unbelievable for Alabama this might have been Nick Saban's greatest team that he's had in his career coaching and just uh, the masterpiece and the absolute beating they put on in the national championship game kind of just wraps it all up in a nice tight bow there for, for Alabama and Nick Saban to get his seventh national championship. Unbelievable. And, and the thing that's impressive to me, too, is that he wins these national championships year after year. I mean, not back-to-back some most times, but the amount of turnover that he has in his coaching staff, too, is what is so impressive. I mean, just for example, this year, he's losing his offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, who's going to become the head coach of of Texas, and he's going to take the Texas head coaching job. So year after year, he has to deal with turnover at the coaching position from his offensive coordinators, his defensive coordinators. And when they leave, they take some of their understudies and some of his other coaches as well. So, I mean, he's going to hire Bill O'Brien as his next offensive coordinator. And if Bill O'Brien succeeds with Nick Saban, at a, Alabama, I'm absolutely positive that Bill O'Brien will get another head coaching opportunity because, I mean, he was a pretty good coach for the Houston Texans. I just it happened to be that he's not a very good general manager, and that's what got him fired from both positions there. So, I mean, just the, the amount of turnover that Nick Saban deals with and he can still win championship after championship is just uh, very impressive. And, and, you know, the other impressive thing, too, is that we were able to finish a college football season, round of applause, to all that were involved in in completing an entire season in a pandemic. I mean, we saw lots of games canceled, especially on the Wisconsin side, but they were able to get to a national championship game and complete one. So it's, it's really a round of applause to any league that's able to complete a season in a pandemic like this. We saw the NBA, we saw the NHL do it. MLB did it as well. The NFL just finished up their regular season. So impressive all around when it comes to these teams, wrapping up a, a, a regular season or an entire season like here for college football. But Alabama, absolutely amazing end to the season in college football. So let's move on then to our big NFL discussion that I have here for us. Super wild card weekend wrap up. Let's start there. Was a huge success. Remember, this was supposed to be just a one year tryout. And and let me tell you right now, it's it's not going anywhere, just just so you know. But it was only supposed to be this one year we tried out with seven teams making it from each conference to the playoffs, but this is definitely something that's going to be sticking around. I mean, three games on both Saturday and Sunday just takes up your entire weekend. Fantastic. And three in six fantastic football games, if I might add myself, I mean, just all either exciting or close or coming down to the wire on some of them. Fantastic. And, and we'll start with the biggest one, and that, of course, being... The Cleveland Browns shocking the Pittsburgh Steelers and really not even in a close fashion. I mean, the end score came out to be 48 to 37, but the Browns jumped out to, I believe, a 28 to 0 lead. The first play from scrimmage, a, an aborted snap over the head of Ben Roethlisberger. The Browns recover it in the end zone for a touchdown, and they didn't look back from there. I mean, then Big Ben had four interceptions, over 500 yards passing but a lot of those yards were just to try and get back and into the red zone for the Brown or for the Steelers to try and catch up to the Browns. So, I mean, Big Ben, four interceptions, I think three of them in the first half, and, and the Browns were able to capitalize off of those turnovers each time, scoring touchdowns, not scoring field goals. And remember, they did all of this with head coach Kevin Stefanski, not there because he tested positive for COVID. He was in his basement having to watch this game like a fan. And if 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 you listen to some of him this week, it was hilarious because his TV, he had his his whole family upstairs as he was trying to quarantine away from them. And his TV was slower than theirs, so he could hear a lot of their reaction before the plays would happen. And it was it was hilarious to listen to him talk about that. But I mean the Browns were able to get the win. He'll be able to coach this week in the divisional round. I mean, Baker Mayfield played fantastic in his first playoff game as well, twenty-one of thirty-four. 263 yards and three touchdowns, relying a lot on Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry, his go-to guy as well, had a big game. And this is the Browns' first playoff win since 1994 when Bill Belichick was the head coach. So just an awesome game to watch. I mean, a lot of people, probably just everyone outside of Pittsburgh and all Steelers fans, We're rooting for the Browns in this one. Just what an awesome story and and a fantastic season that they're having. Kevin Stefanski, I think I mentioned this in my last episode, is my coach of the year. And it just shows that even when he's not there, the culture that he's kind of instilled in this team, just his first year there, they had to practice at home or they had to do all these Zoom meetings and all the preparation that they had to do was outside of the building. And they're still able to come in with this intensity and, and, and still able to get this huge win over the Steelers, a division rival nonetheless, which nobody was giving them a chance considering the first matchup that these two teams had. I think the Steelers won like 34-7, to and then in Week 17 when they faced off, the Steelers didn't have Big Ben and a lot of their starters playing, but still the Browns with an awesome, huge victory to move on to the divisional round in and, and their prize for getting their first win in, in over 25 years. Is they get the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Another big one: the Buffalo Bills defeat the Indianapolis Colts twenty-seven to twenty-four. This is the Bills' first playoff win since nineteen ninety-five. So I mean, both these teams twenty-plus years without a playoff win, and they both get it in the same season. And of course, is twenty twenty anything is happening, and is ha- or anything can happen, and is happening in this season, and, and the Browns and the Bills. Are winning playoff games. Josh Allen comes up big in his first playoff win. He finished 26 of 35, 324 yards, and three total touchdowns. So, I mean, he picks up his first playoff win, and the Bills will move on. They'll host another playoff game this upcoming weekend, and it'll be against this team right here, the Baltimore Ravens, as they get revenge on the Tennessee Titans, winning this one 20-13. to Lamar Jackson has been absolutely electric and on fire since coming back from testing positive of COVID, the the Ravens get revenge kind of two ways here on the Titans. The Titans beat them earlier this season, and if you remember that kind of pregame uh, beef that these two teams had when the when the t- Titans were kind of dancing on the on the Ravens logo before the game, ended up still winning that game in overtime. And then this time the Ravens uh, get the game sealing interception and they dance on the Titans logo as this one was in Tennessee. But then also the the revenge factor of the Ravens losing last year to the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs in the divisional round when they were the one seed a big third what were they 14 and two last season or 13 and three just a just a fantastic season unanimous MVP award for Lamar Jackson but then they just get bounced in their first game so I mean Lamar Jackson wins his first playoff game this time around as well I mean he had over 315 total yards over 100 those coming on the ground in an amazing 48-yard rushing touchdown at the end of the first half. But then the big big storyline for this one is the Ravens hold Derrick Henry to a total of 40 yards rushing. He was what destroyed them last year in the playoffs. I believe he had over 200 yards, had a big game earlier this season as well, had that maybe, what was it, 30-yard rushing touchdown in overtime to get the, the Titans the win there. So the way that they were able to stifle him and hold him to only 40 yards rushing was the big key for the Ravens to get their revenge on the Titans there. The other games here, really quick, Tampa Bay Buccaneers survived the Washington football team. Uh, Washington didn't have Alex Smith for this one, so Taylor Heineke. Man, what a fantastic and fun game to watch there. I mean, you would think with a backup quarterback, maybe it would be kind of a boring playoff game to watch, but this guy was absolutely phenomenal, just insane to watch some of the diving touchdowns that he had, some of the throws that this guy was making. He had over 350 total yards in two touchdowns in his playoff debut against Tom Brady, nonetheless. I mean, that's the the pressures in itself when you're in a playoff game. But then when you're going against the greatest quarterback of all time, the pressure intensifies as well. And he just showed up in all the ways possible and tried to will this team to a victory and did all he could. But Tom Brady and the Buccaneers were just a more talented team, they they had a, they did a good job up front protecting Tom Brady. He was excellent, able to kind of avoid that pass rush like I just mentioned. He finished 22 of 40, 381 yards and two touchdowns, and that's how the Buccaneers moved on. The Rams then, they limp past the Seahawks, but I mean still, the Rams were able to beat the Seahawks. John Wolford, he started this game, but he gets injured early on in this one with a neck injury. Jared Goff comes in for relief with his injured thumb on his throwing hand. He had surgery on it maybe two to three weeks ago now at this point, and he was able to come in and get the Rams to the victory. I mean, they had a big performance from Cam Akers, their running back. Jared Goff still able to throw a touchdown as well. But the Rams win this one 30-20. Big part of their defense, Jalen Ramsey shutting down DK Metcalf. They had a pick six. Aaron Donald, he had a big game as well. He left with an injury, but I think he'll be good to go against the Green Bay Packers coming up here. So the Rams move on past the Seahawks, and then the Saints beat the Bears. And maybe the only thing noteworthy in this game was that this game was also on Nickelodeon and had some really fun aspects. I mean, they they slimed players on the TV when, when they made touchdowns and stuff like that, but the Saints kind of easily moved past the Chicago Bears in this one, 21-9. to nine. So that sets up this weekend NFL Divisional Weekend preview here. Here's our four games with our eight teams remaining. We've got the Rams at the Packers this Saturday, tomorrow, the the 435 game. Jared Goff, he's going to be the starter. John Wolford already ruled out. This is going to be Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, possibly the best corner in the NFL this year. I mean, we've got three of the top five corners possibly this season. Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, and Darius Williams, all three of these guys have allowed the second lowest completion percentage, according to PFF, at 50%. These guys have had amazing seasons. This is going to be Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams, if Jalen Ramsey follows him, which he's been known to do following the best receiver. I mean, Devontae Adams, 18 touchdowns this season. That led the NFL 98 receiving yards per game. That was first in the NFL. Eight receptions per game. That was number one in the NFL. Remember, he missed two and a half games. I mean, he tied for third all-time in regular season history for 18 touchdowns. I mean, he only had one game against a team with a top-10 defense this year, and that was against the 49ers, and he had 10 receptions, 173 yards, and a touchdown in that one. But Jalen Ramsey has been fantastic this season. I believe he only allowed 309 reception yards in coverage all season. I mean, he had guys like Stephon Diggs, one reception for four yards, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, DK Metcalf. Three different times he was able to shut this guy down. Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, twice as well. So this is going to be a really fun matchup. Really something that, that we'll be watching in this game for sure. I mean, we've also got Aaron Rodgers versus Aaron Donald in this Rams defense. I mean, the Rams, I believe, had the number one pass defense in the NFL this year. Rodgers and the Packers having a top two or three passing offense this year. Rodgers is 4-1 against the Rams in his career, but, I mean, this will be Rodgers' third postseason game where he faces the number one pass defense. I mean, that's brutal right there. And in both of those previous games were against NFC West teams. 2014 NFC Championship game against Seattle. We do not mention that game. We don't talk about it, except right there. That's all I'm going to say about it. We know what happened after that. And then 2019, just last year the NFC Championship game at San Francisco. So Rodgers, he's 0 for 2 against the number one pass defense. But he's been on the road both times for those games. And this one he'll have at home. His touchdown to interception ratio in those two games, only three touchdowns, four interceptions. Very un-Aaron Rodgers-like. So, I mean, this year, 48 passing touchdowns, a career high, 121.5 passer rating another second most or second highest in NFL history behind his 2011 122.5. I mean, we'll see, but this is this will be the fourth playoff game in the past 50 years between the outright passing touchdown leader Aaron Rodgers and the defense that allowed the fewest pass touchdowns that season. So the the Rams only allowed, I believe, 17 or 18 passing touchdowns all season against that defense, but in in those Three previous games, the QB passing leader is 3-0 and in those games. And Aaron Rodgers, he's at home. He's coming off of a bye. He did not He did play in Week 17 as well. That home field advantage, I think, is really going to help the Packers. Even if they aren't able to put up the 30 points per game that they've been doing all season, this Rams offense is, is really concerning a lot of teams. And Jared Goff coming in with that bum thumb, and they're coming in to... Lambeau Field as well, 30 degree weather. Jared Goff playing in California, both in college and at the pro level. This kind of just seems like this is why the Packers wanted that number one seed for this exact reason. Not a great matchup for them from the defensive standpoint, but this is where that home field advantage is really going to come into play and, and help them out a lot. And of course, Aaron Rodgers has been playing fantastic. I think the Packers will be able to get this one, it'll be closer. Than Packer fans and myself would like. We'd of course just like them to blow it out and make it nice and easy down the stretch. But this will this will be a closer one because of how good that Rams defense is. And, and Aaron Donald was injured, like I said, in the in the week prior. But it looks like he'll be good to go. Jalen Ramsey, Devonte Adams. That'll be a fun matchup. I'm not. I don't. I don't think. I don't expect Jalen Ramsey to shut down Devonte Adams. But if if he limits him some, the Packers have shown this year that they can still go to other weapons and get it done on offense so this will be a great game that's our first game this weekend then we've got the Ravens and the Bills that's the night game on Saturday Lamar Jackson Josh Allen both just got their first playoff win 2018 draft class rivalry here Josh Allen taken in the top 10 Lamar Jackson taken at the end of the first round I believe the 32nd overall pick but both of these teams are they've got to be the two hottest teams coming into the playoffs and in the playoffs right now I mean the Ravens they're on a six-game winning streak, including last week. And then the Red Hot Bills, on the other hand, are on a seven-game winning streak. Could be even more had they not lost to the Arizona Cardinals on that Hale Murray that they talk about with DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray at the end of the game. So, I mean, these are two of the hottest teams right now. The big the difference maker here is, can the Bills contain Lamar Jackson? I mean, we saw last week some of the struggles they had in, in stopping the Colts running offense with Jonathan Taylor. This, the Ravens team is the number one rushing offense in the NFL, and the Bills have had their struggles on defense. Lamar Jackson is playing his best and looking like his MVP form of last year since he came back from the COVID list. This is going to be a, a fantastic game. I honestly think that the Ravens are going to get it done here. I think Lamar Jackson is playing so well, both, both in the passing game, which is what they need, but the way that he's been able to run the ball as well, and then you complement that with J.K. Dobbins. The rookie running back who's emerged especially in this last quarter of the season no doubt i think the ravens are going to get it done over josh allen and the buffalo bills but josh allen and lamar jackson this is going to be a great quarterback duel and i can't wait to watch this one on saturday night then we get to sunday in our first game on sunday then it'll be the browns at the chiefs like i said the browns coming off of their first playoff win since 1994 and their reward is getting the number one seed, Kansas City Chiefs. But the Chiefs, remember, they've been they've been kind of struggling at the end of the season there. All their starters, not all their starters, most of their starters did not play in Week 17. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Is there a little worry of any rust that the Chiefs might have? Andy Reid has been fantastic coming off of a bye week, so you'll know I think they'll be ready to play. But, I mean, Mahomes hasn't been his sharpest this season. I believe he's got seven turnovers in his last six games so we'll see if there's any rust coming in for for the Chiefs there. The Browns though, even if even if the Chiefs play a poor game, the Browns to take advantage of that have to play a perfect game to win this one. Both sides of the ball, kind of just like a repeat of last week if they want to win this one where the defense is forcing turnovers like that, if they can force Patrick Mahomes into some of those mistakes and then they got to take advantage like they did last week as well, scoring touchdowns like they did, but the 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 cool thing here, this is a Baker versus Mahomes kind of game. If you remember this game back in college, I believe it was 2016. I have it all written down here because the stats on this game are insane. It was Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma and Patrick Mahomes with Texas Tech. Listen to this score and some of the stats from this game. So this was in 2016, Oklahoma at Texas Tech. The final score was 66 to 59. Oklahoma got the win. These were the stats here. Patrick Mahomes. 52 of 88. He threw it 88 times in this game. Are you kidding me? 734 yards, five passing touchdowns, an interception, 85 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Seven total touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes in that game. And then Baker Mayfield, just to not be outdone, 27 of 36, 545 passing yards, seven passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. Are you That's crazy. Over 1,200 total yards, almost 1,300 total yards of offense just between those two right there, I believe. Here, here's some of the numerous FBS records that these teams broke right here. Most combined passing yards by opposing players, 1,279 total passing yards in this game. Most combined yards of offense by opposing players, 1,383. That's Mahomes and and Mayfield when you include the rushing yards of Patrick Mahomes. Most yards of offense by an individual, Patrick Mahomes had over 800 total yards of offense. And then most passing yards by an individual, 734. That's tied for the most with in Pat, and, and Patrick Mahomes. Just an unbelievable game back in 2016 at the college level between Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. We're, I don't think we're going to get anything near that. That's just an anomaly and just a, a game for the ages in college football right there but these two teams can light it up. We just saw the Browns put up 48 points. We obviously know that the Chiefs with the number 1 or number 2 total offense, they can put up points as well. I think the Chiefs will still come out on top of this game. I think it'll be I think it'll be closer. I mean, I think the spread is 10 points. I think it'll be the the, the Chiefs will win by a touchdown, but they won't win by double digits, I don't think. I think this one'll be around like 40 to 33 or something like that or 41-34. It's going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be really fun to watch between the Browns and the Chiefs here. But I think the Chiefs will move on. And then to cap it off perfectly on Sunday night, it'll be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints, their third matchup this season. The Saints have won the first two. I mean, can the Saints win three straight against Tom Brady? Can Tom Brady adjust to this Saints defense? They have owned him this season with forcing interceptions. The pressure they can get on him as well. But the, the cool thing is all the history between Breeze and Brady here. I mean, number one and number two all-time in passing yards, in passing touchdowns. These two are at the top of every passing category list, completion percentage, wins, yada, yada. It doesn't matter what you, what you bring up. These two are going to be at the top. So, I mean, we've gotten to see it twice already this year. We're going to get to see our third matchup between these two, and this is just going to be fun to see. I think the Saints still have... Tom Brady's number this year, the way that defense has been able to get pressure on him. The Buccaneers offense has been playing much better down the stretch for sure. Tom Brady is averaging I think over 300, probably close to 350 yards passing at at the end of this season here and maybe the last four or five games. We saw how they were able to hold up against the Washington football team in that defense, but I I think the Saints will will be able to win this one at home in the Superdome. They've got I think around maybe 5,000 6,000 fans That'll be able to be there. But I think this will this will be a great game. And it, it's, of course, always fun to see two of the legendary quarterbacks, two of the best all-time, go at it, especially now in the playoffs. We'll get to see it in the divisional round. Just fantastic. So, so, So my opinion, it'll be the Packers moving on. It'll be the Ravens moving on, the Chiefs moving on, and the Saints moving on. All those teams, I think, will make it to the championship round. All right. Another thing I want to talk about here for the NFL is the head of NFL head coach openings and some of the front runners for some of these positions. So last week we had six openings. We now have seven when the Eagles fired head coach Doug Peterson after a what they what they call it a difference of opinion between what Doug Peterson thought this team should be and what the Eagles kind of wanted to go forward. was Did it have something to do with the quarterbacks and Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts? We're not sure. But either way, Doug Peterson was fired, and so that made seven openings between the Chargers, Eagles, Falcons, Jaguars, Jets, Lions, and Texans. But actually three of those got filled just today. Urban Meyer, he's going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mentioned this one last week. I wasn't sure if he was going to actually take the job because, if you remember, he retired from Ohio State back in 2018 due to health concerns. It was the second time he retired due to health concerns, so I wasn't sure if he was actually going to take this, this gig with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he did, he spoke to the media today. Um, And I'll tell you what, he seems excited for it. And I was really impressed with his opening press conference. I mean, he mentioned, he's like, I wouldn't come back. I wouldn't go to just any coach opening. I, I would go somewhere where I knew, or I thought I could win. So he's, he's excited about the prospects of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I mean, why wouldn't you be? I mean, they have the number one overall pick. They've got two first-round picks. They've got a, a few talented players on this team as well. But, I mean, this is his first NFL coaching experience. Will he be able to transition well from college to the pros? Um, we've seen some of the more recent guys have, have some struggles. Nick Saban comes to mind, all the success he had in college and kind of struggling when he got to the pros in the Miami Dolphins there. He won three national championships in college, though. I mean, two with Florida, one with Ohio State. And I mean he's he's ready to bring Jacksonville back to kind of that twenty seventeen year where they went ten and six, they won the AFC South, they made it all the way to the championship game. But since that that run in 2017, they've been twelve in thirty-six. So I mean, is Urban Meyer the guy that can turn it around? He's he's in a great position. He's gonna get Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they haven't said it yet, obviously they can't, but he's gonna get Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback and, and they'll be able to build from there and uh, he's excited about the prospects of of coaching this team so we'll see if that works out for them two other guys hired robert sala becomes the head coach for the new york jets he wanted this job he's the he's the former defensive coordinator now of the san francisco 49ers so i mean he he'll he'll be the head coach now for the new york jets He's been he's he's been fantastic coaching this 49ers defense. He's been there for the past four years. They've had a top five total defense the past two seasons. Even this season, when they lost guys like Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner to trade, Richard Sherman was out a lot of the year. They lost other guys on that interior defensive line as well. They had to plug and play guys, and they still were able to finish in the top five for total defense. That's just very impressive. Last year, the number two overall defense. This guy is a motivator. He's a great leader. I mean, all of his former players on the San Francisco 49ers are coming to this guy's defense. I mean, no one's one's attacking him, but I'm just saying, like, backing him up, saying this is going to be great. He's going to be able to turn that Jets franchise around. And I was thinking going into this that he was going to be one of the top coaching candidates and was going to be a great fit wherever he went. He's going to turn that defense around in New York. He's got some guys, Quinn and Williams and C.J. Mosley, to work with there. On that defense, it sounds like he's going to be bringing Mike LaFleur, brother of Matt LaFleur, yes. He's going to be bringing him along with him from San Francisco to be his offensive coordinator. They're going to have that kind of Mike or Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur look to their offense, which has worked really well in San Francisco. It's working fantastic in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers at the head of it. I think they'll have that number two overall pick. I think the way it looks right now with with Robert Sala, they're going to stick with Sam Darnold. That's that's in my opinion, and I think I thought no matter where he went, he was going to be a great hire. But I think this is is a great hire for the New York Jets in terms of trying to turn this franchise around. It and some of the struggles they've had since uh, was it Rex Ryan and, and Mark Sanchez when they were able to make it to the playoffs those years. So this is this will be uh, really good to watch, and I'm very excited for Robert Sala. I really like. What I've uh, seen from him, just the energy that he brings to the team too, will be great in New York. And then the third guy hired today as well, Arthur Smith, hired as the Falcons' new head coach. He was the former offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. He's a product of the Kyle Shanahan tree as well, the Sean McVay, Matt Lafleur system that they want they they run a lot of play action. We've seen it with uh, the Tennessee Titans. It helps when you have Derrick Henry and, and how effective your play action plays can be in that sense when you have the best running back in football. But Arthur Smith is going to be brought in to revive Matt Ryan and that Falcons offense. Kind of similar to what Matt LaFleur has done with Aaron Rodgers, the way that he has now made him the MVP this season, the way that offense has clicked in its second year. Arthur Smith is is brought in to do a similar thing with the Falcons and try and get Matt Ryan and that offense back to what it used to be. I mean, this was a top 10 defense when they had, or I'm sorry, a top five offense when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. They made it to the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan was an MVP. Can Arthur Smith bring that back to the Falcons and help Matt Ryan get back there? That's what they're bringing him in there to do. And then one more, it looks like Dan Campbell, the assistant head coach and tight ends coach of the New Orleans Saints, he's looking like the candidate for the Detroit Lions, that's not official yet. Until the Saints get eliminated from the playoffs or they win the Super Bowl, they can't make that one official. But he's looking like the front runner right there. So that would leave the Chargers, the Texans, and the Eagles as teams without a head coach at this point. The Lions don't have one yet either. But it looks like it's going to be Dan Campbell from the New Orleans Saints. But then the, the question is that I want to that I want to talk about is which team offers the most desirable opening. Which, where do coaches want to go in, in coach? Are they set up to succeed when they go to these places? And I'll rank all seven of these openings in, in order right now. And it starts with the Jaguars. I mean, yes, they just finished 1-15, in 15, but looking forward, there's there's a lot to be excited about for the Jaguars, and that's why I think Urban Meyer came and wanted to be the coach of this team. He's also a Florida guy, so that helps as well. But there's a lot to look forward to for the Jaguars. They have the number one overall pick. They can take Trevor Lawrence there. They'll have their franchise quarterback, and they have another first-round pick as well when they traded away Jalen Ramsey, so they get that pick from the Rams. They have over $120 million in cap space, so they can sign a lot of free agents, a lot of veterans to try and prop this team up, try to do a rebuild, kind of like the, what the Miami Dolphins did last year. I mean, they finished 5-11. and quick, quick turnaround. Then they just won 11, or 10 games this past season. After finishing 5-11, and Tua Tagovailoa looks like their quarterback. They've got a lot of leadership from veterans on that team as well. That's what the Jaguars should look to do this upcoming season with all this cap space, a lot of draft capital as well, a number one overall pick, two first-round picks, and two two second-round picks. So, I mean, they're in a good spot. they got some talent as well. DJ Chark at the wide receiver spot. James Robinson at the running back spot, an undrafted free agent rookie who rushed for over 1,000 yards this year. Josh Allen on the defensive side, over 10 sacks in back-to-back years, I believe. And then their first-round pick this past season in C.J. Henderson at the corner spot looks to be panning out as well. So the Jaguars have a lot to offer, and I think that's why Urban Meyer decided to take that job, because there's a lot to work with. And even though he's coming from the college ranks, he'll he'll be able to build this team in kind of his vision, is what the owner said. Shad Khan the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a he's a good owner. He's patient. He gives his head coaches time to try and, and build out what they want. They don't have a general manager yet, but Urban Meyer is going to have a say in who they hire there. So Urban Meyer is going to have a lot of control, like he did at Ohio State, like he did in college, which made him successful, and I think that's a, part of, a big part of the reason why he decided to come back and be the coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Chargers, I think, have a really good spot and a really intriguing one that coaches will want to go to. I mean, they have Justin Herbert. It looks like they have their franchise quarterback of the future, probably going to be the offensive rookie of the year this year. So that's always a key when deciding whether you want to be the coach of that team. They've got a lot of defensive talent, some injuries that they have to hopefully work through like Derwin James, but their defense is is loaded as well. They've got decent cap space to re-sign some of their own free agents to also go out and get some free agents. You're working with guys like Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, Derwin James when he gets healthy is one of the top five safeties in this league, and then Casey Hayward at that secondary spot as well. So I mean, there's a lot to work with here for the Chargers. I think they're they're close to being a playoff team if they can just stay healthy. And now they have I think their franchise quarterback moving forward. So I'd rank the Chargers second. I put the Jets third. I mean, they have the second overall pick. They have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, similar to what the, the Jaguars have. They also have a ton of cap space to sign free agents, whether they want to try and do it, similar to what the Dolphins have. A lot of teams are going to look at what the Dolphins did and try to mimic that because they did so well. They, they have a good GM in Joe Douglas, and they have some some talent on this team in, in young guys like Makai Becton at left tackle, Quinnen Williams, so I think Robert Sala has, uh, has a lot to work with here in New York, especially with the draft picks that he has and, and the patience that hopefully they'll give him to try and turn this franchise around. But the Jets have a pretty intriguing opportunity for, for coaches there, and I think that's why Robert Sala really wanted to take that, that job. Then fourth, I have the Falcons, and, and the reason being they have a lot, of, a lot of really good players on offense. They just haven't been able to put it together the past couple of years. They have the fourth overall pick that they can work with as, as well. They have a great owner in Arthur Blank. He's been patient with his head coaches in the past. Dan Quinn, most recently, where a lot of people thought he would be fired last year. He said, you know what, you finished the year well. I want to give you a chance to, to try and prove that you can build off that. And obviously he didn't. And that's why they have a head coaching spot. But they've got guys like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst on the offense. They've got their entire offensive line is is first-rounders, so we'll see if if they keep everybody and all that talent, but they've got guys on the defense like Grady Jarrett as well. So there's a lot to work with here for the Atlanta Falcons. They don't have a ton of cap space to re-sign guys. They might have to trade some of these older veterans. Julio Jones is is the number one guy that they might look to move on from, but if they don't, there's a lot to work with there, and Arthur Smith will have a lot of fun and and hopefully be able to bring this offense back to what it was back when they made that Super Bowl run. So I put the Falcons at four. I put the the Lions at five. They have the seventh overall pick. The defense needs a lot of work, though, still. I mean, they've they've missed on a few of their linebacker spots. They've got a a decent secondary in Jeff Okuda and, and some guys back there. But, I mean, if they have the seventh overall pick, like I mentioned, if they decide to stick with Matt Stafford, he's got some weapons on offense as well with Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift. He's got a couple pieces along that offensive line, like center Frank Ragnow. So, I mean, that's why I put the Lions at five. They've got they got some work to do, and especially with the, the division that they're in with the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears making the playoffs this year, and then you've still got the talented Vikings. But that's why I'll put the Lions at five. I'll put the Texans at six. Really, the only thing they got going for them is Deshaun Watson. That's it. They have... Virtually no cap space no first round pick or second round pick this season the front office has been Ripped to shreds this offseason with how they've handled the general manager hiring how they've handled the head coaching search It just doesn't look like a good situation right now Deshaun Watson is tweeting out cryptic messages that he wants to get traded Boy, it's uh It looks like a sticky situation right now in Houston That's why I put them six and the only reason I have the Eagles below them is they don't know what they have at quarterback that's why i put the texans above them because they have deshaun watson for now but if the eagles they're just a mess at quarterback you don't know if it's carson wentz jalen hurts they have the the, for the head coach it's not a lot of say in what you do during the draft with gm howie roseman in philly is just a tough place to succeed for for coaches and it's just a tough fan base i mean Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl just three years ago, I think, and he just got fired, and Philly fans already despise him, and he won them a Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's just a tough place to be, and that's why I've got the Eagles as the, as the least desirable spot for a head coach to go right now. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We've got three of these confirmed filled with the Jaguars, Jets, and Falcons. So we're still looking for the Chargers, Texans, and the Eagles, as it looks like the Lions have kind of focused in and narrowed in on one guy and we'll see if they go there. All right, wow that was that was a lot there and I'm, that was a lot of fun to, to prepare and, and talk through there for the NFL between super wild Card weekend, the divisional round coming up this week and then of course the the head coaching openings and, and it looks like we're starting to round out and, and fill those in as well. so that's a lot of fun to see teams kind of put together that stuff. but we'll get to my final thought then today on the final final podcast this day, in NFL history, January fifteenth, the Packers won Super Bowl one thirty-five to ten over the Kansas City Chiefs. Are we on a crash course to repeat that one this season? I mean, the two number one seeds in Green Bay and Kansas City. I mean, Bart Starr was your MVP of that game, two hundred and fifty passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. The Packers won that one thirty five to ten. I mean, January I mean, this day is when it happened, and, and it looks like right now the two best teams this season, we're the Packers and the Chiefs, so uh, that's just something to keep in mind as the rest of these playoffs play out. I want—I had to get that in to this episode today because it just landed on the day that I was recording, so that was uh, that was perfect. But that's for my final thought right there: is are we on a crash course of a rematch of Super Bowl one? Knock on wood for Packers fans and for Chiefs fans that we are right there. All right, my final final thought then today for this episode of the final final podcast. Look at the. I want to talk about the quarterback age difference in the divisional round of the playoffs this year. The NFC quarterbacks versus the AFC quarterbacks. This will absolutely blow your mind. The NFC quarterbacks, the average age of those four quarterbacks is 37 years old. You got Tom Brady, he's 43 years old. Drew Brees, he's 42. Aaron Rodgers, 37. And then the young guy, Jared Goff, at 26. All four of those guys are older than the four guys. in in the AFC, where their average age is 25 years old. Baker Mayfield, 25. Patrick Mahomes, 25. Josh Allen, 24. And Lamar Jackson, 24 as well. There's a 12-year age gap average between these two conferences. It's just insane to see. I believe it's the largest age gap of all time between conferences, between the NFC and the AFC right there. What a great mix of veteran quarterbacks, legendary quarterbacks. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and then just young guns and guys that are going to be taking over the NFL once these guys retire. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. We're still seeing Baker Mayfield get better each year. I mean, how cool is this? I mean, look at the look at this. Playoff starts between the AFC and the NFC. 81 playoff starts for the NFC, 11 for the AFC. 52 wins, seven wins for the AFC. Just unbelievable. The the the, the age difference in the and the gap just between these these quarterbacks. I mean, you've got young quarterbacks for for the younger generation that are, are growing up watching these guys. And of course, then you've got the legends like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Just awesome. Just an awesome mix of quarterbacks. Probably the some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe we're just missing Deshaun Watson from the AFC. But otherwise, I think we've got all the best. Oh, and Russell Wilson from the NFC, I guess. But otherwise, I think we've got all the best the top quarterbacks left in the playoffs this year. And I mean the divisional round. Maybe the best football weekend in the NFL. I mean, super wild card weekend this past week was probably it's close. It's it's second, but now we got we've narrowed it down to the eight best teams in football this year, and they're gonna be going at it. You just know you're gonna get great games, and, and you get football all day still. That's why it's considered by many, and including myself, probably the best weekend in the NFL because you still get football all day. Whereas and all weekend, both days, Saturday and Sunday. Whereas championship weekend you get one day of football in and for half the day. But here football all weekend, both days all day. So that's that's just great. And uh the age gi- difference when I saw this stat is something that I just had to mention. It's just fascinating to see from both conferences there. All right. That's all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to listen next week as well. We'll discuss the divisional round of the playoffs, see what sets up our conference championships for both teams will be narrowed down to just four in the NFL. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe out there. Stay sane as well as we still have this pandemic going on. Hopefully, you'll be getting the vaccine soon. I uh, hope everybody, we can all just survive this and get through. We're we're close. We're close to the end. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Have a great one, everybody. And that is... The final final.